Welcome all those that are watching online at our South Shore campus, our Biloxi campus, and all the, also those that are watching in the Orleans Justice Center. Come on, church family. Let's give all those that are watching online a big hand of applause. We're so glad that you're watching. I have the distinct honor and privilege to introduce to you this, this morning uh, pastor slash coach uh, Tom Mullins, all the way from West Palm Beach from Christ Fellowship Church. And uh, coach actually coached college football for about... Uh, 15 years in a former life, if you will, and then went into uh, pastoring. But he founded Christ Fellowship in 1984, and this is crazy, but now the church is right at 30,000 people with about eight or nine different campuses all up and down West Palm Beach, the Beach Strip there. It's just absolutely amazing. And, uh, and just uh, in 2010, he turned the church over to his son, uh, Todd, and his wife, Julie, and they are just doing a tremendous job. In fact, uh, I was just down there uh, last week uh, visiting the church. It's just amazing what God's doing. Also, uh, Coach is the president of Equip with John Maxwell, uh, the Equip uh, uh, ministry that, that goes all around the world, equipping uh, leaders all around the world. And it's just amazing what, what God is doing with him. He was also in uh, the Woodlawn movie. How many of you saw Woodlawn? He was there. He was the coach in the Woodlawn movie. So let's do this. Let's, give, let's stand up and give Coach a warm South Louisiana Church of the King welcome. Come on, Coach. Thank you, Randy. Hey, I'm in Louisiana. I love Louisiana. I tell you, I've fallen so in love with Louisiana, I'm an LSU fan now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in South Florida, and everybody's waving Miami flags. They're waving Florida flags, Florida State flags, and I got an LSU flag. Come on, talk to me. Where else can you go to a gas station and get some of the best food in the world except for Louisiana? That's what I'm talking about. I love your pastor. Pastor Steve has become like a spiritual son to me. I love him, Jennifer. I love their hearts. I love this great, exceptional staff you have. And I want to thank you, Church of the King. You're making a difference. Not only here in this region, you're making a difference around the world. As you're partnering with us in our equipped ministry, we've trained now over 6 million leaders in 196 nations of the world. And you're a part of that. You're making that difference. We're seeing a global revival take place right now. Just in China alone, what God is doing is off the charts crazy. There is a revolution taking place in that nation, and eventually that, those Christians are going to take that nation over. It's only a matter of time. There are 100 million strong and marching and growing every day in China alone. And you're a part of that. You're supporting that. You're making a difference there with your lives. And so um, our churches are very connected now. We feel like sister churches. So whether you know it or not, you've got a very southern campus down in West Palm Beach, Florida. So if you would like to visit one of your regional campuses in Florida, we'd love to have you come down and join us at Christ Fellowship, and you'll feel like you're right here at home at Church of the King. Well, we're in this series, When Life Hurts. Some of us know what that's like. We've been through some 
awful challenges in our life. Some of you are in some great challenges right now in your life. There's no congregation this size that is not dealing with a lot of challenges in their lives. When Pastor Steve told me about this series, I went to the Lord in prayer, and, and Pastor Steve gave me the phrase. He said, I want you to take the words of Christ when he said on the cross, recorded in John chapter 19, it says, at the very end of all he had endured and had suffered on that cross, he finally said, it is finished. And that statement was a declaration, not of defeat, but of great victory. It was a statement that I have come, I have fought the fight, and I have finished the course that you laid out for me, Father. Now the plan of salvation and redemption for mankind, it is finished. It is completed. We have overcome. And I love the account of, of, of Matthew. Each of them give a little bit different account of this, but in Matthew... We'll find in chapter 27 these words. In verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, I believe he was crying out in a voice that was not only penetrating the nation of Israel and, that, and, and where he was on that mountainside just outside the city gates of Jerusalem. It was piercing through Jerusalem, through Israel. It was piercing all the way to the gates of hell and to heaven. And said he cried out in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, this is interesting because you'll know in the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies where the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was kept that contained the Ten Commands of Israel. And only the chief high priest once a year could walk into that holy place because the Shekinah glory of God dwelled there. And only one man a year could go in before the presence of God. It was so sacred that they would tie a rope around his leg and he had to wear bells on the bottom of his priestly robes because if he got in there and, and there was sin in his life and God struck him down, nobody could go in to get him. So they had a rope tied around his leg and they would drag him out. That sounds like something we'd do in Louisiana. Hey, better put a rope around him, man, because if he goes down, I ain't going in there and getting him. No, I ain't going in. No, you, you go in. So they tied a rope around him. And now that, that is torn from the top to the bottom. And that was God declaring, through my son, now all men have access to me. Everyone can come into me. You all can come into my presence. This thing, listen, it became very personal with God. And his love for us became very personal and was demonstrated there on the cross. And when Christ said it is finished at that moment, all of our past sin and all the things that were barriers between us and God were done. They're over. They've been destroyed. It has been finished. Now I have full access unto the Father. And I love this next part that Matthew talks about. And he says, and the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open, and bodies of many holy people who had been dead were raised to life. Now, wouldn't you love to have been visiting the graveyard that day? <laughs> you know, in Israel, they don't take flowers to the graveside. They take a rock, and they put a little rock, you know, on, on the tombstone or where the body is. Can you imagine out there placing rocks, and suddenly here comes Uncle Jeremiah up from the grave. He arose. Whoop, there he is. I'm going, what, what is going on? Come on. 
See, to me, that was the glorious celebration that Jesus' death had conquered sin, it conquered death, it conquered the grave. We now have the gift of eternal life. And there it was manifested for us in a real and vibrant way when the dead were brought to life. I promise you there was a celebration going on in that graveyard. Hallelujah. We realize that through his, his death on the cross, we have now been given life, life eternal. And then it goes on to say, and then in verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. This revelation that came that was the salvation not only for the Jew, but now also for the Gentile. Jesus came and died for the world to be receiving him and knowing him. He came to bring victory to us in life and in death. Victory. So that we could live, as, as Paul says, more than a conqueror in life. When Christ said it is finished, it was a declaration, a victorious declaration, that he declared that we all can begin to live this way, with this type of victory in our lives. And yet when we live life, life can hurt at times. And we don't feel like we're winning. We, we don't feel very victorious. We don't feel like we're on top of it. It feels like it's all on top of us. But see, here's the difference. We've got to understand what's been appropriated for us on the cross, and it's our choice whether or not we're going to embrace it or not. We have to embrace it. So being a football coach, I decided to title this, How to Embrace the Winning Edge in Life. How to Embrace that Winning Edge. Because see, we, he gave us the winning edge, when he conquered sin and death and the grave on the cross. And he declared it with a cry of victory, a shout that was heard in heaven and a shout that was heard in hell. It is finished. Well, here's why I first starts. I think the first place it starts, if we're going to embrace the winning edge in life and embrace all that Christ has done for us, we've got to know our true identity. We've got to know. You've got to know your identity in Christ. It starts there. I can't tell you how many people I, I talk to and minister and pray with that they, they don't have any sense of their true identity. When you're, when you're lost with a sense of identity, it, it, your whole life is kind of messed up because you're always in the search mode trying to figure out who and why and how and where. And, and, we, and we, we live life to searching instead of living life with a sense of confidence and assurance that we know who we are. See, I believe that Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He, he took his inheritance from his father, ran off, wasted it all, got down devastated, feeding hogs. Here's a Jewish boy feeding hogs. That doesn't go. It's not very kosher. And he's feeding hogs. And he says, well, I will go back to my father as a servant. Maybe he will receive me. So here he comes back, the stench and filth on him. And his father's waiting for him. What's the first thing the father did when he saw him? He fell on him and loved him. And then what did he do? The second thing he did, he took his robe off. And that robe represented his position and authority as the leader of the family, of the member of that family. He took that robe off and he covered that boy in that robe, put sandals on his feet. Then you know what he did? He took the ring off his finger, which also was an insignia of power and authority, and he put it onto the son. Because here's what the story tells. That father's love was so great, even though the son broke covenant with the father and left the father and lost his identity in a pig pen, 
The father held on to the true identity of his son, and when his son came, he said, son, you may have lost your identity, but in my eyes, you've always been my son. And I want to affirm you with that. I want to affirm that with you. Do you realize, you realize no matter where you have gone in your life, no matter how much you've messed up in your life, when you turn your heart to Christ, he's there ready to cover you with the robe. Because see what happened on the cross, Jesus took off his robe of righteousness at that moment when he cried out and embraced the sin of mankind. And that robe now is available to be wrapped around you. So that when God sees you, he does not see your sin, he does not see your failure, does not see your past. He sees your life that is made righteous, made right with God because you have been forgiven and transformed by the power of God's grace and love. And you are identified as a son and a daughter of God. It was God when he ripped that veil in two that separated the Holy of Holies, his arms were wide open saying, son, Daughter, come, come, come home and dwell with me now. This is how I created you and you rebelled and you went, but now I'm saying come home and embrace your position in me as a son, as a daughter. Do you know that we are children of the Most High King? We have a royal blood flowing through our veins. I have some scriptures that I had written down. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living uh, for. And, and, and it's Christ that we live, we move, and we have our being. In Acts 17, and Colossians, uh, we are created by God and for God. And I love this. In, in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Wow. Peter says we're a royal priesthood. Man, we need to start understanding who we are. When you start understanding who you are, it affects everything about you. It affects how you see yourself, how you think, how you process, how you walk, how you carry yourself, and how you interact with other people. When you really understand who you are. I took over a losing team in Florida. They never had a winning season ever. I took them over and said, well, the first thing you guys got to do, you got to start thinking and seeing yourself as a winner. I made them stand in front of a mirror. I said, stand in front of that mirror. Get your shoulders up. Get your head back. Make eye contact. You can't make eye contact with yourself. Come on, get eye contact. I said, now, say it. I am a champion. I think like a champion. I practice like a champion. I'm going to play like a champion, and I'm going to live like a champion. I am a champion. I made him chant. I made him do all these chants. I'd get him out and practice. Who are you? I'm a champion. What are you doing? I'm thinking like a champion. How are you talking? I'm talking like a champion. How are you walking? I'm walking like a champion. How do you dress? Get your pants up. I'm dressing like a champion. How are you going to play on Friday night? We're going to play like champions. What are you going to do to the opponents we're going to play? We're going to go, whoop, whoop, dead in, whoop, whoop, dead in. <laughs> Translated for you non-football people, we're going to bust you upside your head. <laughs> and you know what? They won their first game. They won their second game. They won their third game. They won their fourth game. They've already tied the school record four game, won their fifth game. They went on to become the number one team in the state. They became the champions. But you know what? You don't, you don't become a champion until you start thinking like one, acting like one, talking like one, dressing like one, get your shoulders back like one, walk like one, treat other people like one. 
That's what the kingdom of God is all about. I'm so tired of people living so far below where God intended for them to live. God came that we might live a champion's life. He said, I've come that you live life and live it abundantly, man. Not down here under it. We're, we were created by God to live on top of it. I know it hurts at times. I know there's pain. I know there's betrayal. But in the midst of that, we are so assured on who we are and our identity in Christ, nothing can shake us. Don't you dare go hiding from your true identity, because some of you are. Some of us hide even in our pain. Pain becomes a nice little hiding place for us, and we can just hide there and get, you know, you can get comfortable in your pain. Now, I'm going to coach. I'm going to shake you up and get you out of that place. I love uh, the story of Gideon in the Bible in Judges chapter 6. Remember, the Midianites were coming and raiding the land of Israel, and they, they were terrified, and so they had to do everything in hiding because they'd come in and steal all their crops. And so here's Gideon. He's down there thrashing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding out, thrashing wheat. And the angel of the Lord comes to him because he's going to call Gideon up to raise the army up to go defeat the Midianites. And so he addresses Gideon. He says, Gideon! Gideon hears his name. He turns and looks. There's this angel. Mighty warrior! Gideon starts looking around like, who's he talking about? Because that ain't me. I know, I'm no mighty warrior. And he said, no, Gideon, God, God has a task for you. He's going to use you to raise you up to be a mighty warrior, lead an army, and defeat the Midianites. And right away, Gideon, because he's been so self-absorbed and so self-focused, Gideon turns around and says, no, you, you, you've got the wrong guy. Now, wait a minute. Wait, I'm going to tell you something. Let me explain something to you here. He's talking to the angel, okay, sent by God. He's explaining something. My tribe is the weakest of all the tribes of Israel. My clan in our tribe of Manasseh is the weakest clan of all the tribes. My family is the weakest family in the clan, and I'm the weakest member of my family. So I'm I'm the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. I'm the weakest of the weakest of the weakest of the weakest. You think this boy's got a little bit of an insecurity complex here? I mean, he says, and so the angel says, no, 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 Gideon. That, no, that's not who you are. God sees you as a mighty warrior. See, here's I tell people this all the time. Don't you dare go defining your life by labels other people put on you or the things of your past that have been put on you or incidents that have happened to you. Don't you let that define you. You let God define you. God will define you. God, has, God knows who you are. He created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, and you're unique in who you are. Think about this. Gideon, Gideon was so self-absorbed that self will always look to the past. But when self looks to his past, you know what we need to say to that in our own spirit? And sometimes we need to speak it out loud. I think I need to get somebody in front of a mirror. Make you start saying some things out loud, some declarations. You ought to say this. Anytime the enemy brings up your past, you say, "Uh uh-uh, it is finished. Say it with me. It is finished. Come on, say it with me. It is finished. Come on, say it with me. It is finished. Yeah, anytime the the enemy of our soul brings up our weaknesses and we start focusing on our weaknesses instead of the strengths that God's placed in us, you know what we need to say? What? It is finished. Now, if you don't get better at this, you will run laps at the end of this service. Come on. Self will look at the circumstances and get discouraged. But we realize that even in this world we may have trouble. We take heart because Jesus overcome this world. 
we too will overcome in the end. We know that all things are working together for my good because I'm called of God. I'm called according to his purposes. Therefore, he will let nothing overwhelm me because if it gets too hard, he said he'll provide a way out. But he would be with me in the midst of it all. Therefore, I know that I'm more than a conqueror through him who has transformed me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I may be hard-pressed. I may be knocked down. But baby, I'm not out. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. I got that get-up spirit in me. Come on. It may be the fourth quarter. We may only have two minutes to go. And we may be trailing by three touchdowns. You better watch out. We're about to light the place up now. Why do we? Because we have a hope in us. Because we have the presence of Christ in us. And no matter where you find yourself today, you can rise up. So when your circumstances try to dictate to you and shape you and destroy you and discourage you and pull you down, you need to turn and look at that circumstance. And what do you say? It is finished. I have victory in that. And here you know another thing the enemy does. The enemy loves to try to get us to compare ourselves to other people. We're looking at other people and see how they're doing how talented they are. You know, gosh, they've got hair. Why, why, why do they have hair? I just, you know, they, they've got hair. I, I'm, I, feel like, I feel a brotherhood in this room, though. I got some brothers in here. Yeah, bless you, brothers. Bless you. Blessings be upon you. Blessings, bl- blessings be upon you. You know, and, and but we cannot compare ourselves to others because we are unique in this. So if you get caught up in this comparison game, just say, no, 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 no. It is finished. No, that's not me. Because, see, when we get a God-focused life, it changes our perspective. It gives us clarity, and we have a sense of self-worth. And here's three things real quickly I I want you to write down in your notes. Discovering your true identity will help you to, number one, A, prioritize your life. This is so important. A lot of us are struggling with our lives because our lives are out of alignment. I had an old 48 Plymouth when I was a boy. That thing, we couldn't get that car to stay in alignment. Sailor. It wanted to run to the left no matter what you did with it. You get into it, and you're fighting the wheel. If, if you just let go of it, boom, it'd be in the left ditch every time. That thing was so out of alignment. Some of you are wondering why life just makes no sense. You keep pull, get pulling off into the ditches. Well, I'll tell you why. You've got to get back to the fundamental prioritizing of your life, your relationships, your, your, and when you do that, you begin to live an intentional life that is focused on God, not self. You begin to understand who you are, and, and it changes you. It changes your decision-making. It changes your relationships. It changes everything. Number two, it will help you value the things that God values. You want to value the right things in your life. You know what God values more than anything? Our relationships. There's nothing more important than our relationships. As a young football coach, all I want to do is win games. I want to win. I love my boys. I worked them hard, but I wanted to win. Because my whole identity was on that scoreboard. What was my win and loss record? Everybody could see it on Friday nights. Everybody could see it on Saturday afternoons. And I was judged by that. And there are many times that I, I sacrificed adding value to my wife adding value to my children. It hit me. Right in the middle, I'm in the prime of my football coaching career in college, and I've got all kind of opportunities, and it hit me that if I continued on the route I was going, the way I was going, I was going to lose my wife. I was going to lose my children. I had to make a decision. What's really 
the most valuable thing in my life isn't my career or wasn't my family. I tell you, I battled with that one, but I knew what was right. I turned. I said, baby, I'm going to take a job as an athletic director so I do not have to be on the road recruiting or on the road traveling. I can help run the athletic department here. I don't have to be gone. I can be home every night with you and with the kids. I made that decision, best decision I ever made. I had no idea I was on my way to becoming a pastor through that decision. But I had to start valuing the right things. And then see, invest. When, when you really understand who you are, you want to invest your life in the things that, that have eternal impact. You, you, live, you live with a sense of destiny. You, you have this sense of purpose. You, you, you recognize that. And you know, my grandfather used to always tell me, he said, son, wherever you go, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. And he wanted me to know that I was a, a, a son of God. I'm a follower of Christ. But also he, he wanted me to know that I represent our family. And said, son, I've, I've worked my whole life to love and serve people in this community. And I remember you represent God and you represent me wherever you go. Wow. Actually, at, I, back then I looked at it and went, well, yeah, gosh, that's a responsibility. That's kind of like mom. You know, mom would say to me every time I'd go out on Friday night, now don't do anything that Jesus wouldn't do. I say, Mom, Jesus never had any fun. Look at the guys he hung out with. I mean, come on, let's take it. Yeah, he, Jesus didn't have any fun. What are you talking about? You know, but that, that, that haunted me. Oh, I can't tell how many times that helped me. I, I was about ready to step into something and go, no, don't do anything Jesus wouldn't do. <laughs> One night I was hanging out like this old Fonzie place. It's, it's like a, 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 a drive-in kind of a deal, and we're all cruising around. Everybody's cruising around in their cool cars. And, and this guy pulls up in this, in this 56 Chevy. You know, 56 Chevy was cool in 56, it's cool in 76, 86, 96, it's cool in 2017. A 56 Chevy is just cool. Has anybody got a 56 Chevy? Anybody got one? Anybody got one? I like to go cruising after church if you have one. I just, you know, just go sit back and cruise, you know, cruise. And so these guys come up in this 56 Chevy, they say, hey, Mullins, come in and jump in with us. And, I, and I'm starting to go in there, and, and they open the door, and I stick my foot in the back seat, there's a two-door, and there was my buddy I played football with. His name was Benny. He was sitting right in the back seat. Two guys I knew up in the front. And one thing I noticed, they all had a bottle of beer. And I got my foot in the door. I got mama saying, don't do anything Jesus wouldn't do. <laughs> I got grandpa saying, never forget who you are, no matter where you are or who you're with. Don't forget who you are. I backed out of that car. Those guys called me all kind of names for not getting in the car, and they drove off and left me standing there, and I felt like an idiot. I'm not cool. That 56 Chevy's cool. We're going to drive around, make the girls look at us, and they're going to think we're cool. At night, I'm driving home. I'm old 48 Plymouth that kept wanting to run off the road. <laughs> I see this burst of light and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went up around this corner and there was a car that got wrecked and gone off the road and was inflamed, inflamed. I found out later that it was the boys that I was getting in the car with that got out, got in a drag race for traveling over 100 miles an hour, lost control, the car spun out, hit a bank, threw all three of them out of the car. And my friend, 
lived just down the road from me that I played football with, was laying in a ditch, and I found him and lifted him up out of that ditch, loaded him onto a gurney, and they pronounced him dead on the scene. And the other two boys were critically injured. I was that close to getting in the back seat of that car. I'm convinced if I had, I would not be here today. What impacted that decision? I think I was blessed as an early age to have a little bit of an insight of, of my true identity that was in Christ. Not defined by as the world defined me as, as an athlete or a president of my class or, 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 or the MVP of this or, or all state in that or all American in that or now getting ready to go to college. No, 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 that, that was not the true identity. It had been driven into me as a child who I am in Christ. Therefore, all my life's decisions need to be in, in a position where I'm seeking to honor him. I prioritize the things of the kingdom, and I invest my life into things that matter. Real quickly, there's two other things that will help you embrace this winning edge. And, and the second one is you've got to embrace your security in Christ's love. You've got to really understand you are loved. I, I don't know that we understand it. You, you know, that's what got me. I went to Israel. In 1983, I went to the church of the Holy Sepulchre where they believed that Jesus, uh, it, they built his church over what they believed was Golgotha, Calvary, uh, the, the hill of Calvary where he was crucified. Huge church. I mean, they got the, the Greek Orthodox are in there and the Catholic are in there, and they're, they're going incense and everything. I mean, it's, and, and there's all these people, tourists from all around the world. And I am there for the first time, and I'm sitting there thinking about my Jesus dying on the cross for me. It got so personal that day to me, it tore me up. Because, see, I had always, always given Jesus the first day of the week. He'd always had the first part of my income. I'd always tithe. I always tried to give him the first and the best. But the other six days, I, I ran those days. Those were my days. That day it tore me up. I had a glimpse into the depth of how much he loved me, and it radically transformed me forever. I went back to my wife. I said, baby, I'm not the same man. I, I can never be about the same things. I've got, we got to pray and seek the heart of God because I, I just can't keep on doing things the way I've been doing them in light of knowing how much my God loves me. Six months later, through fasting and prayer with five families, Christ Fellowship was born. And now today to think that God's allowing us to have an impact in South Florida, an impact around the world. We have 132 nations join us every week in worship online. We have over 50,000 people every week online that are worshiping regularly with us, on, just online, you know? We're going to see 60 to 70,000 people join us for Easter here in a few weeks. We just had a baptismal service where we baptized over 1,600 people in one weekend. I mean, what? That, no, 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 no. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I, I, I am humbled and amazed. But it changes you when you understand how much God loves you. 
and you can be secure in that. Because some of you deal with condemnation. Some of you deal with, with, with all kind of guilt. Some of you are dealing with all kind of insecurities in your life, fear and anxiety and all these things. That is the enemy floods on you because he's trying to downgrade who you are. But when you see yourself in light of God, in light of his love, it will upgrade you to embrace the fullness of that love. I couldn't wait until my son had his first son. I remember the scene, he's in the hospital, he's holding the little baby, they're praying praise and worship music. We had a, the nurses in the nursery that day were, were, went to our church and they had praise and worship music on playing over all the babies in the nursery born that day. I love it. He's in there singing the praise and worship song, holding his newborn son. I'm outside looking through the mirror, boom, like this, crying and sobbing. And I saw that look on his face like he had never known before. He had never known that love before until he looked into the face of his own son. And suddenly there was a love ignited in his heart for that boy that he didn't even know was possible because he had never been a father before. And when he came out and he handed me his little Jefferson, he handed him to me. And I kissed him. And my son's crying. I'm crying. The baby's crying. <laughs> We're all crying. I looked at him. I said, I said, son, I'm so thrilled today. Now you know just how much I have loved you. Once we get that insight, it will change us. When we understand how much he loves us, it will change us. And finally, Finally, to embrace that winning edge in life, we've got to have the courage that comes when you recognize Christ's power in you. When you know that you have access to a power source, a power source that will never leave you nor forsake you, a power source that is there to help transform you, it changes things. Remember these two things. You're never alone, and you have access to the power source that is unlimited. We are never alone and we have access. Let's throw that one up. We have access to the power source. It's unlimited. He is with us continually. A power to love, a power to live, a power to forgive. That will change you and transform you when you know who you are in Christ and you're secure in his love and you realize I have so much power available to me to help give me the strength to press on and to press through when life hurts. I don't have to be under it. I can literally press through it. And that's when we have our opportunity to be the greatest witness for Christ we could ever be. I was in Rwanda years ago. We're supporting a orphanage over there and I wanted to meet the director. I never met him. His name was Frederick. I, when I went there I, and Frederick come walking up, he had his arms behind him like this. He come walking up to me, this, this, this young African, big old smile on his face. And I reach out and grab him. As I grab him, his arms come around me and I feel there are only stubs there. He had no, he had no hands. And, and I didn't ask him what had happened. He went on to show me that day everything that was going on and, and, and while the kids were ever carried forward and we were supporting that ministry. But I learned his story actually later that when he was a 16-year-old boy coming home from school, their bus got stopped by, there were two warring tribes in that Rwanda genocide and, and the Houthi and, and the Tutsis. And, and he, was, he was a part of the, the Houthi tribe and the Tutsis were there and they stopped and they got him off and 
and there were, there were, there were tootsies on there, and there were others, and they, they tried to get him to actually kill some of the kids, and he wouldn't do it. And so they ended up deciding to punish him, tied him to a tree, took a machete, and cut off both his hands, left him to die. They tied him so tight to the tree, it served as a tourniquet that saved his life. Now here's this boy with no hands running a home for children that are disabled. Joy of the Lord all over him. And I later learned that it was quite some time after this incident happened. Actually, I think it was a couple years after the incident happened. He walked into a neighboring village, walked into a little store, and came face to face with the man who cut off his hands. You're the one. You, you, you did this to me. You're, you're the one. And uh, I, I forgive you in Jesus' name. Wow. I heard that. I. I fell apart. I said, I, I know not of that courage, that depth. But that's why God's using this young boy to help bring transformation to his nation of Rwanda, Africa. Because he tapped into a power source. He has a sense of true identity, and he is now secure in that love of God. And when life hurts and comes against us, we can declare by the grace of God, we're going to let nothing hold us into bondage. Because we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. His love is radiating through us. And we have the courage to love, to live, and to forgive. So nothing hinders us from living the life called, called us to live. Amen? Amen? On all of our campuses, will you stand with me? Let's stand together.